0: We've been uh, spending these last few weeks in the <clears throat> book of Colossians, and that's the first three Sundays we've spent in chapter 1. Today, we're going to finish chapter 1 and begin moving into chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, your phones, your iPads, whatever you have to follow along in the Word, I would uh, invite you to do that. So last week, um, I kind of beat us up pretty good. Most of us, I would say especially me, squirmed as we considered the bigness, the vastness, the enormity of our sin. I mean, most of us want to consider our sins as cigarette-smoking, eucalyptus-leaf-chewing sins. Small, right. But the reality is that most of our sins are epic. They are addictive, gambling-sized sins. Because, the text told us last week, we have deceptive hearts that lead to alienation. We are enemies of God. This is hard language that Paul used. Death reigned because of rebellion. And we are bent towards self and sin because of original sin. How big is our sin? It's cosmic big. Yet the contrast, and I trust that this is what you went home with last Lord's Day, is that the grace of Jesus is bigger. Big grace overwhelms big sin every single time. The blood of Jesus washes away our iniquities every single time. Let me read you a verse. I, I, didn't, I, just, got, I just put this in this morning, so it's not on the screen. But listen to this verse from Isaiah 43. That's what I read you from this morning. This is what the Lord says. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. God says, I will blot out your sins and God says, for his own sake. Well, why does he do it for his sake? I'll tell you why. Because he desires, he craves An intimate relationship with each and every one of us. How big is our sin? Huge. How big is the grace of God? It's much, much greater. So today we pick up Paul's words in Colossians about the bigness of Jesus, the bigness of his love and his grace. And here's the question we find ourselves asking How do we get access to this big grace? How do we uh, connect with this big gospel, this big love, this um, big Jesus that we're talking about? Well, I want to share that, and we'll pick it up in the last couple verses of chapter 1, verse 25, excuse me, through 29, and then we'll move into chapter 2. But here we find three parts to this big gospel or three ways of looking at the big gospel. And the first big way is this. It is mysterious. It is mysterious. Listen to these words from Colossians 1, 25 to 29. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you, Paul writes. This message, now listen, this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. So he says there is a mystery that the Old Testament prophets didn't know, the people in the Old Testament didn't know, the angels didn't know, that men and women of the Old Testament didn't know. What is this mystery? And you find this, and I think I've said this before, that there are sections of Ephesians that we find in Colossians as well. So if you're studying Ephesians, I know some of the women are studying Ephesians, uh, you will find significant sections that are verbatim that Paul used part of that when he wrote Ephesians to write to the Colossians as well. And one of those is talking about this mystery that he's talking about. And there's two parts to the mystery. The first part of the mystery of the gospel that the angels didn't know, the Old Testament prophets didn't know, nobody knew before Jesus. The first part of that mystery is that the gospel of grace, the gospel of salvation is available not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to the pagans, to anyone else in the world the gospel is available to you. That's a, that was a mystery. In the Old Testament, it was all about the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. No, it's about everyone. And the second part of the gospel of God is so beautiful, and this was a mystery as well, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27, Christ in me, the hope of glory. In the Old Testament, it was always God coming down, Right? A God coming down to the burning bush, so he met Moses. A God coming down for the Israelites in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. A God coming down to the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, was actually in the Ark of the Covenant. So God was always somewhere else. God was out there. He was available but he was either coming from the heavens or he was in the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, or he was somewhere else. The mystery of the gospel that Paul is talking about is that God who was so real and so big and so outside of us is now inside of us. Christ in me, the hope of glory, Paul writes. That's such an amazing concept. And so this mysterious gospel that was always kind of over here, is now in here. This big gospel, this big grace, this big Jesus is not just around you, but it's in you. Listen to Colossians 2, verses 2 through 4. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. The mysterious plan is Christ himself, right? It's so beautiful. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. In Christ is all the treasures and wisdom. And those treasures and wisdom that were They used to be outside or up there. Those treasures and wisdom in Christ are now in you. Isn't that beautiful? Love, peace, purpose, significance, eternal life. All of those treasures and wisdom are now in you. And then uh, let's uh, just flip back to uh, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 12 through 19. Here, once again, we see this beautiful picture of this mysterious gospel that is now accessible, now in us, not just around us, but in us. Listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Then Christ, this is great, beautiful. Then Christ will make his home, where? In your hearts, as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand... Paul is saying here, I just want to give you, make sure you have the power to understand this one thing, right? As all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Isn't that beautiful? The love of God is so wide and long and high and deep. He said, I just want you to have the power to understand that, that all of this glory, all of this goodness, all of this greatness, all of this vastness is now in you. Uh, Sherry, uh, for many years, she was a nanny. Uh, before we, when we were in Minnesota and, and after we moved here as well. And one of her, I don't figure which one it was, honey, but one of her little children, she was t- teaching this little child that, um, that Jesus can live in your heart. And I think it was Philip, he said, how can Jesus live in my chest? You know, he just didn't understand it. Well, even as adults, we kind of go, what? Here, here's the mystery of the gospel. The spirit of the living God manifested in Christ Jesus himself makes himself available to live in your heart. My heart Christ's home. This is so beautiful. It's so wonderful. The word to live in means to dwell, to abide, to take up residence in. He wants to live in your heart by faith. So this is the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this big mystery that not only is Christ available to all people, Jews, Gentiles, pagans, everyone on the planet, but that gospel is Christ in me, the hope of glory. So the first thing is, the big gospel is mysterious. The second thing is, it's liberating. The gospel is liberating. Some of you need to hear this today. Listen to verses 6 through 10 in Colossians chapter 2. And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world. Rather than Christ rather than from Christ for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body so you are also complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority the scripture tells us that you have been set free you're free from the bondage of sin you're free from the bondage of good works performancism that I've got to do it this way. You're free from the bondage of finding X in the equation Jesus plus X equals something because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Slavery is living your life to gain favor. Real freedom is knowing you already have favor. The difference is Enormous. Now, the Colossian church, the people there, were trying to find favor with God. Jesus is good, but G- how about Jesus plus circumcision, okay? Jesus plus Judaism, that, that's really the answer. Or, or how about, there's a lot of angel worship going on in the first century in the uh, Asia Minor churches. How about Jesus plus the angels? Ah, there we've got it, right? Or how about Jesus plus Moses? Jesus plus Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How about Jesus plus religious holidays? or Jesus plus good works. All of this, you were set free from the notion that you can do anything to please God. Because what? Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Uh, There was this uh, gal in our church at Hope. Her name was uh, Joyce. And uh, Joyce grew up in the Catholic church. She uh, found Christ at our church and she was beginning to grow in her faith. And I remember she told me one time, she said, I always grew up with two questions that I had to answer. The first question is, what can I do? What am I allowed to do? In other words, how close can I get to the edge where it's not sin and not cross over that? You know. I, so that was the first question. I was, What am I allowed to do? The second question, she said, I always asked myself, is what must I do? What must I do to make God happy with me? What must I do to be okay in his sight? And she said, when I found Christ and I experienced grace, both of those questions disappeared. Both of those questions have no meaning anymore. What am I allowed to do? What does love require, right? And what must I do? Nothing, because Christ did everything. Everything. I mean, you've heard this before. Religion is spelled D-O. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. All that God has done for you has done for you and your salvation." Galatians 5:1, we read these words: "It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Stand firm in that. It's not about performancism. It's not about angels, circumcision, what you can do, how much you can do. It's not about any of that. Stand firm in the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. I have a friend named Mark. In fact, we were just with him last night. And Mark says that I never knew what freedom was until I gave up my need to make everything work and make everything good. I never could. I never could experience freedom. Jesus is big enough. The gospel is big enough to set you free from your sin, from your brokenness, from your performancism, from your legalism, because you have been set free. So this big gospel is mysterious. It's liberating. And because it is enough, listen to this, it is final. It is final. Listen, listen to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross this big gospel there's a finality to it there's a this is all you need to it there is this is the eternal concept to it now here Paul in that text I read Paul gives three snapshots three pictures of the finality of the gospel the first one is that of a dead man you're dead because of your sins and you become alive because of Jesus Christ, what he did. You are dead. Is Jesus big enough to resurrect you? So, um, I've never really been into zombie movies. Some of you may be. I mean, zombie movies uh, really got their foothold in 1968 uh, with The Night of the Living Dead, okay? I never did see that, but I know that's kind of a cult classic, and uh, all of these zombies, and so now today, uh, apoplectic, ap- apo- ap- 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 Apolo- you know, okay, the apocalypse. Those kind of zombies, those kind of zombies, you know, they're walking around, but but we're not talking about this finality of death here because of your sin. We're not talking about zombie dead. We're talking about dead dead. Real dead. There's nothing left dead. There's, there's, um, a cl- great movie, uh, probably twenty years old. Sean Penn, Susan Sarandon, called "Dead Man Walking." Anybody read, heard that movie? Okay, it's a great. If you haven't seen it, it's it's not easy. It's kind of rough, but it's a powerful movie. And Susan Sarandon plays this nun that kind of befriends this guy. The Sean Penn character who's really uh, a really an evil man, and yet as this movie goes on, she has more and more entree into his life, and he's more and more saying. Maybe I am responsible for my own life. And, and at the end of the movie, they have him walking towards the electric chair. And that's what they call in the penal system, dead man walking. I don't know if you've ever heard that. But when you're walking to the death chamber or to the electric chair, uh, it used to be to being hanged. Uh, when you were walking, dead man walking. And as he was walking, she was sharing with him the good news of Jesus. And she said, you can believe that. I don't know if I can, but you can. And this conversation is powerful. You need to see that movie just to see that conversation and to recognize that that dead man, and he had every right, he he deserved to be dead, right? But she was saying there's something more beyond death. There's new life in Jesus Christ. You can be made alive in Christ where you will never die again. Your sins are buried; they are over. So, there's a lot that we can learn from millennials. Uh, some of us old people, we we don't really know. You know, we already know how to text, okay? So that that's there's that. But uh, you can learn some stuff from old people, from young people, from millennials. One of those, I asked a millennial one time, "What I've heard the phrase FOMO, F-O-M-O, right? You know what that is? That's uh, fear of missing out, okay?" Millennials don't want to miss out on something. I mean, many times they won't say yes to an engagement or to a party or something because of FOMO. Maybe something better will come along, right? Fear of missing out. And then there's another one I learned from, we have a 14-year-old that's kind of really close to us. She's she's like our granddaughter in town. And um, she said one time, YOLO. I said, YOLO? What is that kind of new kind of yogurt or what? She said, no, no. You only live once, okay? See, we can learn from millennials, right? YOLO, you can, you'll, let me give you a new one. And for all of us, for old people and millennials and everybody in between <laughs> YCLF. YCLF. You can live forever. You can live forever. Now, this isn't just my word, this is the word that you have heard from Paul's ministry, from being inspired by the Holy Spirit. You can live forever. That's good news. Why don't we believe it? Well, there's a 10 year old boy who wanted to be a pastor when he grew up. And one day, when the family's black cat died, he had an opportunity to do some practice preaching by conducting a funeral. The boy found a shoe box and he put the cat in the shoe box and we placed the cover on the shoe box. The tail was too long, to, it kind of stuck out of the box, so he put a hole in the box and put the, 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 the cat's tail outside the box. Uh, that was all great. So he rounded up his friends, preached a short sermon that he had carefully prepared and buried the cat in a shallow grave. When the service was over, he noticed that the tip of the cat's tail was still sticking out of the ground. And so every two or three days, curiosity would get the better of him. And he would go and he'd pull the cat's tail and pull the cat out of the shallow grave. Well, he did this two or three times, and finally you know what happened. The tail came off, right? Now, when he did that, he said, Man, I, I don't know what's going on here, but let, let me tell you what this means. How many of us do this with our forgiven sins? We confess our sins but then we continue to drag them out of their burial. We continue to pull on the tail and say, there's got to be more to this. Is it possible that God has forgiven my sins and literally buried them so that they're never seen again? How many of us do that? We know that God sees our ugly sins, but those sins are buried. It's like... The author said, the most famous author in the world, right, Anonymous, said this. God has buried my sins where no mortal can see. He has cast all of them in the depths of the sea, in the deep, silent depths far away from the shore, where they never may rise up to trouble me more. Let me just say this in a very loving, kind way. Stop pulling On the tail of your sins. Stop pulling up out of the grave and looking at it again and weeping over it again and saying, I'm sorry again. Stop pulling the cat out of the grave. The finality of the death of the old nature, the death of our sins, are buried and never remembered. Ever. Another picture of the finality of the gospel is a debt owed. The Bible tells us what we read in Colossians 2, that, the, he, that God has canceled the record of your charges. Now, the Greek word for debt is a charge list, uh, like an IOU. Uh, now, all of your debts, all of your sins are listed on this charge list. Um, some of you have a couple of sheets. Some of you have reams. <laughs> and reams and reams and all of this charge list of all the sins, all of the debts that you have owed. And remember, your sins are big. They're not cigarette eucalyptus sins. These are big, big sins, right? Secret thoughts, acts of selfishness, the number of times you've said no to God. All of those charge lists. Now, you know this story. Many of you have heard this illustration. In Jesus' day, they had what they called a debtor's prison and outside the debtor's prison, you owed certain debts. Maybe you owed some cows and some uh, sheep and some money and some things. And they would throw you into this debtor's prison until the debt was paid. And you ask the question, "Well, how am I supposed to pay the debt if I'm in debtor's prison?" Well, that's pretty much your problem. I mean, you pretty much got yourself into this position. Don't blame blame the you know the da- jailer, right? So, and then on the the people be in the debtor, and then they have this parchment, this vellum, this uh, papyrus and they would write all of the debts. Here's what you owe, here's what you owe, here's what you owe, here's what you owe. When that was finally paid off, if it was paid off, and that happened very seldom, when that was fi- maybe say a loving family member or somebody that you knew paid off your debts, here's what they would do. They would put a big cross over it and they would write these Greek words, it is finished. Guess what the three last words of Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. Don't pull it up by the tail. Don't keep trying to examine your past sins that have been forgiven and forgotten. The charges against you have been paid, canceled, wiped out. Now, interestingly. Um, The substance on which ancient documents, including debts, were written, charge lists, right? They were written on this, as I mentioned, papyrus or a vellum. Uh, They were basically animal skins. Very expensive. Now, the ancient ink had no acid in it. And so this ink would lay on the surface of this vellum or this papyrus without biting into the substance or being absorbed. It would just sit on top of it, and that's what you would read, right? If a scribe needed to reuse that vellum or that papyrus, they would simply take some water and a sponge, and they just kind of wash it off, and it would all just disappear. Because again, that ink didn't bite into the surface. The Scripture tells us that Jesus blotted out our charge list, never to be seen, never to be retrieved, No cat's tail. Wiped clean. Forever. In Canada, some sins, some crimes, after 12 years of good behavior, those crimes can be forgiven. Wiped out. In the Old Testament, you've heard about the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, all of your debts would be forgiven. Now, that probably only happened to you once in your lifetime because only every 50 years, all of those debts are already out. So if you're Canadian, every 12 years, you get a free charge, right? If you're, you know, in the Old Testament, 50 years, you're good to go. Let me tell you something much, much better. It's called eternity. And all of your charge lists, all of your debts have been blotted out forever. Hebrews eight twelve, I will forgive them their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Let me read it again. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. There's a third picture of the finality of the gospel, and it's this. The devil is disarmed. You're going, whoa, really? Because I look around the world today, and it looks like he's pretty active. It looks like Satan is doing a lot of stuff in our world today, especially when it comes to hatred and all of that. I mean, it looks like there's a lot of things going on. Uh, Did you know that all of the evil powers in the universe that are bent on the ruin of man, the demonic forces that say Jesus is not enough, that your sins are unforgivable, and the devil himself who whispers into your ear, "Uh, you won't die like in the Garden of Eden? All of this has been disarmed. Now, you've got to hear this. The devil is not fighting for victory. He's already been defeated. The devil is only fighting for company. People to go with him. People to say no to God. People to say no, 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 until finally God says, okay, have it your way. I mean, God literally blockaded the road to hell with the cross of Jesus Christ. You've got to go way around that to say no to God. He disarmed the devil. I mean, consider the events of Easter and Good Friday, right? Here, literally, God is killed on a cross. And the devil is shouting, All right, I've won victory, finally, I've defeated this guy. And then three days later, he rises from the dead. And everything that the devil thought was amazing and wonderful and good was the worst day of his life. You need to remember that when it comes to thinking about the virus and all the things that are going on. Say, this is the worst thing. God's promised to turn all these bad things on their ear and turn something good out of them for those who love and serve the Lord. You need to remember that. You need to believe that. The worst thing that the world ever thought could possibly happen, the death of God, was the greatest victory that ever happened in the universe, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The devil, the Bible, says, our text says, was shamed publicly by the cross. He intended evil, but it became the greatest victory. He was neutered, he was emasculated, he was defeated by the power of God of the cross. How big is the gospel? Is it big enough for you? The gospel is mysterious because it's available to all people. And is Christ in me, the hope of glory. And the gospel is liberating. It sets you free from having to always try to perform. And the gospel is final because your your sin is dead, your debt is paid, and the devil is disarmed. How big is Jesus? How big is Jesus for you? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we, we are so sorry that we make you so small. We're so sorry that we keep you in a box. We're so sorry that we make you kind of our puppet, a, a cosmic Santa Claus. When we need something, we'll pray and we'll talk to you and we'll say, please give me this, but... Lord, when we look at this amazing passage of Scripture in Colossians 2, we recognize how enormous your love is for us, how wide, how deep, how long. Oh, Lord, your, your love is so great. And, and Father, also, we, we just realize that no matter how big our sins are, and they are big, they're cosmic big, Lord, and we're really sorry for that, but, but none of them are bigger than the cross of Jesus Christ. None of them are bigger than the blood that was shed on the cross 2,000 years ago. Your love for us is great. Our debts have 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 been actually forgiven and wiped out, buried, never to be seen again. Our sin is dead. I mean, dead, dead. And you have disarmed the devil. Lord, what an amazing passage of Scripture that is. Lord, here's what we need to do now. We need to say, Lord, I believe that. I believe it for, you know, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, somebody, no, no, no. I believe it for me. Because only you and I, Lord, know the enormity of my sin, of my mind, of my thoughts. And yet, the gospel is big enough for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And thank you that we can experience life in its fullness because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.